0: This episode of Shameless is brought to you by Calm, the number one mental wellness app that gives you the tools to improve the way you feel.
1: She was the royal bachelor turned war hero. She was the fun-loving redhead who the public adored. But after their wedding, well, just about everything started to fall apart. Welcome to the second episode of a new series by Shameless Media. Andrew and Fergie, a very royal scandal.
0: Hello, Zara McDonald. Hello, back for part two. Back for part two, guys. We're sure you've listened to episode one, but let's give a recap anyway. We talked about Andrew and Fergie's fairy tale romance in the last episode. He was initially known as Randy Andy, but then was the Royal Bachelor turned war hero. She was the relatable gal with, and I quote, a well-developed sense of humour and enough worldly experience to handle him.
1: To handle him. To handle him. Gosh knows what that. means now
0: Andrew and Fergie
1: got married in 1986 as we detailed at the end of the last episode and soon after they had two daughters Eugenie or Eugenie as they seem to call her in the UK and Beatrice but cracks really did start to form in their relationship pretty soon after they married Mish. Yeah
0: that's right Andrew was serving in the Navy which meant he was rarely home and then the press soon turned on Fergie as they so often do with women in the public eye. They went from loving her and saying that she was kind of the preference to Princess Diana to then all of a sudden criticising her for her appearance but particularly her weight there was a lot of public discourse course about her being I don't know in some way not the princess stereotype that they wanted her to be yeah
1: now alone in the relationship Fergie embarked on an affair with a Texan millionaire guy by the name of Steve Wyatt now her reputation at this point was yet to properly implode Mish things weren't great but things were only about to get worse we are going to go all the way back to 1992
0: All right, Zara. So 1992 is where things got very interesting and dramatic in the private life of Fergie. At the start of that year, photos were published in the tabloids of her on holiday with her then lover, Steve Wyatt. Now, keep in mind, she was very much still a married woman when these photographs of her and her lover were published in the media.
1: Yes, now tabloids reported that about 120 photos showing Fergie on this holiday in Morocco with Steve, and now this holiday was from two years prior, so in 1990, had actually been found by a cleaning lady in his former London apartment. This is about as unlucky as it gets Mm. in my mind. Now, while the photos generally looked like two mates on a holiday, there was one photo that showed Steve sitting beside Fergie with his arm around her
0: shoulder. You could argue that still looks like mates on a holiday.
1: Well, I would do that with my friends, but if my (laughs) husband wasn't there, if I was very famous, if I had two kids... Maybe the dynamic of your male friends changes a little bit. Yeah,
0: I'm not sure I'd be on a one-on-one holiday with my male friends in the first place. Now, news outlets really started to speculate about the state of Andrew and Fergie's marriage, as you would. How's this from the Washington Post? They wrote the headline, Tristing the Night Away. The copy went as follows. She started out as the pudgy darling of the lot, whose rowdiness was thought to be adorable. But now, the Duchess of York, known as Fergie, is not only considered by some to be a poor excuse for a mum, she's acquiring a reputation more racy than royal. A reminder, that was published by The Washington Post, not The Sun absolutely brutal as well as
1: this idea that if she's even on holiday or away with somebody else even if she is having an affair that that has some impact on her ability to parent Mm. anyway Andrew was reportedly furious about the images apparently months before the photos were published the royal family had told Fergie to like cool her relationship with Steve (laughs) it's
0: wild to me that they all probably know these affairs are going on but need to like subtly just be like can you simmer that down for a bit
1: yeah not for the state of the marriage but for public perception for sure now from here as you can probably only imagine Fergie and Andrew's relationship just continued to crumble
0: yeah Fergie later wrote in her first autobiography my story that in 1992 she and Andrew had actually been discussing separating in her own words she said that she had and I quote reached the end of her royal rope she went on for six years I had shouldered the demands of palace life I'd endured the constant scrutiny of the British press and the barely-veiled hostility of the royal household, the courtiers who run the show. Gradually, relentlessly, they had beaten me down. They were killing me by inches. It was time to save my life. I mean, it's kind of the idea that Harry and Meghan had when they left the royal family,
1: Mm. that idea that it was time to save their life. Like, they said this was life or death. Now, before... Andrew and Fergie could actually announce their decision. The Daily Mail beat them to it, leaking their separation plans to the public in March. Now, suddenly newspapers and tabloids, including the LA Times, were all speculating that the rumours were true.
0: Yeah, the palace would usually stay silent on rumours like this. They would kind of avoid it, ignore it until it goes away. But this time the palace decided to break protocol. On the 19th of March 1992, they issued a statement confirming Fergie and Andrew's separation. The statement read like this. In view of the media speculation, which the Queen finds especially undesirable during the general election campaign, Her Majesty is issuing the following statement. Last week, lawyers acting for the Duchess of York initiated discussions about a formal separation for the Duke and Duchess. These discussions are not yet completed and nothing will be said until they are. To put this, I think, into broader context, all of this was just terrible Mm. timing for the
1: royal family. (laughs) That same year, Charles and Diana separated. Also that year in April, Princess Anne entered into divorce proceedings against her ex, Captain Mark Phillips. And in June, the first published excerpts of Diana, her true story, were published. Now, That book is now etched in the history books because it detailed Diana's bulimia, self-harm and marital problems. I mean, it was later revealed that Diana was a key source for Andrew Morton's book, but regardless...
0: Not good. Horrendous for the royal family in terms of (laughs) just stories galore. Yeah, that's big when it rains, it pours energy. Like everything that could have gone wrong in 1992 basically did.
1: Yeah, and it's probably why you'll hear people refer to that year. I mean, Fergie wrote in her book that the Queen herself referred to that year as her Annis Horribilis because it was, and I quote, the year of torn moorings and shattered peace.
0: Yeah, but things sadly were about to get so much worse, not just for the royal family, but for Fergie individually. In fact, one of the biggest scandals of Fergie's life hadn't actually happened yet, Zara. That was coming in the August of 1992.
1: Yeah, exactly. So five months after it was announced that Prince Andrew and Fergie were separating these salacious photos of her appeared on the front pages of the daily mirror showing Fergie's toes being sucked or kissed which contentious (laughs) has since been a great debate by a lover in the south of France now other photos showed her walking around topless which is clearly just such a intense breach of privacy I want to talk to you about these photos Mm. because I think Fergie will forever be known as the toe-sucking princess yes but The more I've looked into these photos doing this research, the more I'm like it is so deeply up for debate.
0: Yeah, look, I would say that when you read the headline of the toe sucking and you like read the details, you get a much worse mental image than when you look at the photos. The photos are a little lacklustre compared to the like the written copy that came along with this story. I think her foot is just being kissed. I think it's just being – I agree. And to be honest, that's something that we see on like Love Island every night between those couples. That's barely anything to write about that a, a lover or a partner – when you're on holiday, might pick up your foot and kiss it in a display of affection.
1: It's not out of this world at all. And I think even going back and looking <laughs> at this, it made me a bit sad about how much, even over the last 30 years, mm. she has been unable to shake this.
0: Yeah. I will say as well, his mouth is definitely closed. It's he close. Looks, he looks like he's kissing a
1: big toe. The toe is not inside his mouth. Sorry to be like, especially detailed about this,
0: but I do think it's important. And even if he was sucking her toe... Like, who actually cares? Yeah. Who cares? It's not that big of a deal. But back in the 1990s, this was the biggest deal ever. Even the stuff that about her, like, walking around topless. Like, sure, she's got bikini bottoms on. She's covering her boobs as she walks from one area to another. Would it be the first woman under the sun to have done that on holiday? No, and also just how there's never any
1: focus on how fucked it is that cameraman and paparazzi zoom in on a woman when she's barely got any clothes on and how much of an invasion of privacy that is let's talk about how this all came to be i think we need to backtrack to give our listeners some context on these photos because the week before the photos hit the press fergie had been on a holiday near saint tropez in the south of france with a guy named john bryan Another Texas businessman. She
0: loves her Texan businessman. Now, it's
1: interesting because even though these two are embroiled in one of the biggest royal scandals in history, not much is actually known about their fling beyond the fact they took a romantic trip to the south of France with her daughters. Yeah,
0: it's really interesting. In that memoir we referenced earlier, My Story, Fergie explained that she and Andrew had actually first met John at a London dinner party a couple of years prior, back in 1990. She described John, the Texas businessman, As an American who started out as my financial advisor then became something more. Now, Fergie actually found out that these photos were circulating before they went to Prince Zara.
1: Yeah, she said that she had got all these calls from John, who told her, I'm afraid they've got the photographs of our trip to France. And he told her that the rights had been bought by the Daily Mirror. Apparently, the paper had spent over $100,000 for the photos. I'm intrigued by a lot of facts in this story that we're about to tell.
0: One being that he was telling her that they had the photos. Yeah, you would think she's far more connected in the British press. She should have connections that inform her of that. It's interesting that the Texan businessman somehow catches wind of the photo before she does. For sure.
1: Now, John reassured her that everything was going to be okay. She recalled him telling her, now you relax, honey, I'll take care of it, everything will be fine. I'm going to the High Court and we will stop them from there. Again, interesting that it wouldn't be her saying that to him because she had all the contacts.
0: Yeah, Fergie wrote about this, I urgently wanted to believe that my man of the world had had everything in hand. That whole year, I had needed someone to take the wheel, to steer my life and to leave me on automatic pilot. John had relished the role, always knew just what to do, a magical trait to someone like myself who wrestled with doubt every day of her life. Fergie said that she told Prince Andrew straight away who told her in return that he would completely support her through the ordeal.
1: Yeah, Fergie also said that she had to go and brief the Queen. My God, can you imagine anything
0: worse having to walk into that office and be like... Excuse me, (laughs) ma'am. The
1: amount of times that though the Queen would have to have been briefed over the years about the most ridiculous stories like this, like people within
0: her family having to like divulge private details to her before they hit the press. And it makes me wonder, what are the private details that never actually made it out into the press that she had to know about anyway?
1: In my story, Fergie wrote that the Queen couldn't have been (laughs) pleased, but, and I quote, she is like her middle son, she is not easily rattled. Apparently the Queen told her, all right, let us
0: see what happens. Yeah. The High Court, unfortunately for Fergie, refused to grant an injunction to stop the photos being published. They said they didn't know how blocking the photos would serve the public interest. The judge on the matter, though, did say that if the Palace were to back them before the Press Complaints Commission, they could prevent the paper from publishing the next morning. All a little complicated, but all you need to know is that Fergie said she took her daughters to swim in the local public indoor pool, tried to conceal what she was feeling in front of them, while John tried to get the palace to help them.
1: Yeah now meanwhile a royal writer by the name of Richard Kay claimed that that evening he received a pager message from Princess Diana saying the redhead is in trouble. John reportedly rang Fergie at 10 p.m that evening and Fergie wrote that and I quote The deadline had passed and the Queen's private secretary, Mr Zed, had refused to intercede. It sounds very much like they thought at least, and by they I mean Fergie and John, that the palace had some power here.
0: Yeah, and they thought that the palace would go to any length to help them maybe. It it reads to me the fact that at the last minute, Fergie says the Queen's private secretary refused to intercede. I wonder if the palace said we can try some things but we're not going to go to the ends of the earth. To cover this for you? I think, and this is me speculating with pretty little knowledge of how girlfriend. this stuff works. I think I speak for all the listeners when I say, we're on this ride with you, take us there.
1: <laughs> I think that the palace would actually do almost anything to squash these stories. Right. But I think perhaps they had less power than John and Fergie
0: believing okay
1: I don't think the palace can do that much all the time to squash stories I know they probably squash a heap but I feel like there's some that just evade them
0: yeah that's fair also at this stage Fergie was on the out of the palace as well maybe they wouldn't have felt as motivated if it was Andrew and it's Queenie's son she would have gone to the ends of the earth but if it's a woman who's no like she's leaving the family she's separating out of the family Maybe they don't care as much. Maybe you're right. Maybe the other flip side of it is true too, which
1: is they didn't care that much about Fergie and had no sense of how big this would get. Regardless, John told her that he had managed to have a look at the paper and that there were 20-odd photos of them printed and that they were worse than he'd thought. Fergie recalled him
0: saying, I am
1: sorry, there was nothing we could do.
0: Yeah, if things weren't already bad enough, Fergie was staying at Balmoral Castle at the time with the rest of the royal family when the newspapers were published. Now, this situation was bad. This situation was very, very bad. And as that royal writer, Richard Kaye, explained, in a few short hours, those pictures were going to be on the breakfast room sideboard in the Queen's Castle. They would also be winging around the world to be poured over by millions millions Fergie said she didn't sleep that night she sat up with her children's nanny who helped her keep it together there would be few lower moments in Fergie's life than sitting on that bed with your children's nanny, waiting for those newspapers to come out when you don't know exactly what they contain. I totally agree.
1: It gives me anxiety oh, just thinking about it. And I'm man. I was not there. <laughs> now the photos hit the stands that morning. The front page of the paper had a big headline that read "Fergie's Stolen Kisses." The subheading was "Exclusive." The pictures they didn't want you to see. It's pretty clicky. It's so clicky, even though it's not a so digital wrong. website. It's. A physical paper. <laughs> the front page also proudly said that more sensational photos were printed not just on pages two to six, but pages 12, 13, 20 and 21. So they're really sort of scattered them through the paper to get people turning those pages (laughs) the photos also show them kissing and embracing and frolicking in the pool in one photo Fergie's
0: two-year-old daughter princess Eugenie watched on as her mum and John kissed Mm, now here's where the story gets more interesting because different people have different accounts of what exactly happened next but Zara before we explore those accounts let's hear a word from today's sponsor Zara, the second half of the year has crept up on us, which has done absolutely nothing to help my sense of calm. Yeah, it doesn't take much for me to feel a little frazzled, that
1: is for sure. Even my sleep pattern gets affected when I'm feeling kind of stressed. If you are anything like me and find yourself overthinking at bedtime, helpful apps like Calm are a great way to rest and alleviate the thoughts buzzing around in your head.
0: Yeah, the Calm app helps you relax and recharge through guided meditations and improves your focus with curated music tracks. If you are someone who wants to occasion Finds it hard to slow down, your mind and body will
1: thank you for putting some time aside to do the daily movement sessions, which are designed to relax your body and increase mindfulness.
0: Calm has proven to be such a useful resource for so many. If you want to give it a go for yourself, Calm has been kind enough to offer us a discount code to share with you all.
1: Yeah, just head over to calm.com forward slash shameless for 40% off Calm's premium subscription and unlimited access to Calm's entire library. The premium subscription includes hundreds of hours of programming with
0: new content being added every week. Once again, head to calm.com forward slash shameless for 40% off their premium subscription. Thank you so much to Calm for making this episode of Shameless possible.
1: Alrighty, Mish. So you mentioned it before the break and you said lots of people have spoken about what happened next, but lots of people have very different accounts of what happened. (laughs) Let's talk about what Fergie says happened next. Because according to Fergie, There wasn't some huge blow up when she woke up. She did say that she couldn't go downstairs for breakfast because the family were all down there reading the paper with her scandalous photos. So instead, Andrew went down and apparently, and I quote, casually leafed through the newspapers as though digesting the cricket results before bringing a copy up to her room.
0: It's just struck me for a couple that's like going through a marriage breakdown. Even in the early days, he seems to be quite supportive to go down, have a look at the paper, and then go deliver it up to her. Mm. Like, they're clearly on okay terms, despite everything that's happened so far. For sure. Fergie said that she spent the day apologising to different members of the royal family, and she said that they were all, and I quote, very gracious. She wrote that even Prince Philip, who could be stern at times, tried to console me. Fergie also said that she went and found Diana, I quote, the one woman who understood what it meant to marry into the royal family and how hard it was to measure up. I went up to Diana's bedroom and sat with my friend. She couldn't say anything, she was just there for me and she was great. Fergie did acknowledge
1: that it was all still pretty awkward though. She said, I was levelled when I entered the room for dinner and saw everyone staring at me. I knew they must be seeing me topless or being nuzzled by a bald American. The courtiers (laughs) eyed me sneakily, discreetly. The butlers and
0: footmen gaped and I felt naked in their sight. Yeah, that's awful for her. She said that she stayed at Balmoral for three more days and said that Andrew stood up for her at every turn. So that's Fergie's account. Fergie says the family was brilliant, but other biographers and royal reporters offer a very different version of events. In the Palace Papers, for example, that Tina Brown book that you adored, Zara, she wrote the Queen told Fergie to pack her bags and leave immediately. She also said that Prince Philip never spoke to Fergie again. I quote, If she walked into a room, he walked out of it. His rage, though theatrical, was genuine. Yeah, another version of events told by former friends of Fergie claimed
1: that Fergie went downstairs at Balmoral that morning to find the Queen had left the stack of tabloid papers on her plate, on Fergie's plate. Biographer Tim Quinn also claimed that, and I quote, Apparently, Prince Philip came into the breakfast room,
0: picked up one of the papers, and just threw it in front of Fergie and walked out. Yeah, Quinn also reported the claim that when Fergie sent Princess Margaret flowers later that year, she sent them back with a note saying, You're an absolute disgrace to the family. Whether or
1: not the royal family treated her nicely, we know for sure that the media... not. Mm. The Mirror published more photos and ran headlines like Fergie is finished and disgraced Duchess of York to leave Balmoral for good and according to Fergie herself sold two million extra papers over the course of
0: those three days. That $100,000 investment paid off in dividends then.
1: Pays for itself. The Daily Express wrote that the monarchy was and I quote reeling under the biggest scandal since King Edward's abdication of 1936.
0: Yeah so it goes without saying Not a great time for Fergie. Not a great time for anyone involved. In that autobiography that we've referenced a few times, Fergie wrote that she had, and I quote, hit rock bottom, no question. I was a non-person in the family. Any future I might have had there had irrevocably ended. I had lost my husband, whom I loved unconditionally and who loved me back the same way. I had squandered the British public's esteem, a hard loss for a person who lived to please. To make matters worse, I was building a mountain of debt. As a single mother with few assets and less income than most presumed, I was in deep financial trouble though I would never admit it. This is a part of Fergie's life that I truly had no idea about before we did this series and when we were diving into our research along with our researcher Justine Landis-Hanley, the depth of Fergie's troubles with money truly blew me away.
1: Yeah, so let's talk about the depth that Fergie is referring to here because I was exactly the same as you, Misha. I had no sense of how big this was. It seems as though during her life as a royal Fergie was getting herself into debt by basically spending more than she had. Taylor's oldest time. That is how you tend to get into debt. <laughs> right. But I think for so many people, everyone's like, but surely she just had like a bottomless pit. Yeah. But not at all. She wrote about this problem a fair bit in her first autobiography, My Story. She explained that my parents did not raise me to love material things, but I did inherit from mum in particular an enjoyment of the good life. It was important to have wonderful holidays and good food and parties done right. I never learned to pinch my pennies, even when my pockets were tight.
0: Yeah, she said that when she came to Buckingham Palace, she had a bank account overdrawn by $800, a serious sum when you're making $18,000 a year and your sole asset is a 10-year-old car. I just presume that anyone in the orbit of the royal family is wealthy upon wealthy.
1: Well, they all grew up together. Yeah. So they all were like incredibly well connected, but perhaps not cash rich, Mm. when they enter the royal family. She said when she met Andrew, and I quote, You might have assumed that my financial worries were over, that I would live solvently ever after in the bosom of one of the richest families in the world. But Fergie said, and I quote, The reality was something else, for I had married the second son and that made all the difference. While Andrew received a moderate sum from the civil list, it went for the cost of official engagements and for staff and office expenses. As for my husband's personal income, the Royal Navy might provide free room and board and a chance to see the world, but it was no place to make one's fortune.
0: She went on, in all our years together, Andrew's income never exceeded $50,000. Not that he cared. He didn't carry cash anyway and had ridden few checks in his life. Ever since he was born, he'd had everything done for him. Fergie said they received a, quote, small allowance to cover expenses at their home in Castlewood, but not enough for upkeep and staff. She also said, and I quote, while my clothing stipend from the queen was kind and generous, I struggled to make do. She said she was living in a world where an evening dress would easily cost $4,000, which meant she quickly used up her allowances.
1: Does this sound more to you like not someone who was broke and didn't have money, but instead someone who had access to more cash than people would see in their lifetime but was trying to live like she did have a bottomless pit when in reality the money did end?
0: Yeah, I think you are bang on. This to me, at least that passage, sounds like someone who with what was at her disposal could have lived a very lavish life but she was trying to compete with the most lavish of yeah, lifestyles. Yeah, like, how can I make it lavisher? Yeah, as if she was trying to compete maybe with the Dianas of the world who was destined to marry the king and she wanted to live that level of luxuriousness.
1: Yeah, it's like it does like a, a bit of self-awareness, it, right?
0: So much self-awareness is lacking here, yeah.
1: Fergie did have an account at Coots, which is the royal family bank, which had unlimited credit. And she said she used that credit over the years to cover costs at their homes at Castlewood and Sunning Hill Park, which, (laughs) by the way, they're paying no rent to stay at. Like, it's owned within the family.
0: Yeah, thank you. I think we need to remind ourselves of this shit because you read it and you're like, oh, like...
1: She's got two homes that are clearly owned by the royal family and she said that account at Coot's went to and I quote a fair amount for trips and even more after my daughters came along for I would take them almost everywhere.
0: Yeah so how accurate is Fergie's telling of her own financial situation in the royal family? Well according to Tina Brown who again wrote the palace papers it's true that Andrew had far less money than Fergie initially expected. As fourth in line to the throne after Charles and then Charles's sons William and Harry, Andrew received reportedly £250,000 Annually for his official activities, so that's I mean rough maths. We normally kind of times it by two, about five hundred thousand dollars AUD.
1: Yeah,
0: a Royal Naval pension on top of that of about twenty thousand pounds a year, plus an unspecified allowance subject to the Queen's goodwill. He had no other capital or assets other than his life insurance policy worth six hundred thousand pounds. But a reminder, everyone, he was apparently earning about $500,000 a year plus about $40,000 a year in a pension.
1: Yeah, according to Tina Brown, Fergie was always told there wasn't enough money or that she'd have to buy it herself. Tina said that Fergie had to pay for all the house decorations herself. Tina also said that Andrew would arrive on a skiing holiday and have no stuff, so Fergie would just have to buy it. (laughs) I
0: mean, you just don't turn up on holidays without a suitcase and then say, ooh, darn, must have to buy a new wardrobe. (laughs) Screams of a prince who, again, has never had to do a thing for himself ever. Yeah,
1: in an attempt to make some money – Fergie, who was actually a qualified helicopter pilot, even wrote a series of children's books in the late 80s and early 90s about the adventures of a jaunty blue helicopter (laughs) named Budgie. And she promoted them a lot. There was even an animated Budgie the Little Helicopter TV show in the US.
0: But as Tina Brown explained, Fergie and I quote, spent with abandon on expensive vacations, restaurants, jewellery, wardrobes and grandiose gifts. Dresses on approval from couture designers were rarely sent back. By the time that Fergie and Prince Andrew separated, she was, everyone, four million pounds. So about eight million dollars Australian in debt to Cootes Bank. And that wasn't the
1: worst of Fergie's troubles, Mish, because she made another huge financial mistake during her divorce with Prince Andrew.
0: Yeah, for that, let's fast forward to 1996. So four years after Fergie and Andrew first announced their separation. That year for a age check, Andrew was turning 36, Fergie was turning 37. According to Tina Brown, Fergie did make a huge error when it came to the details of their divorce. Now she hired what is referred to as an establishment lawyer who cared deeply for the royal family's approval, rather than opting to hire a lawyer Outside of royal circles. So essentially, it meant that Fergie's lawyer was probably trying to fight for Fergie in her best interest, but was also trying to maintain a good relationship with the monarchy, which in turn meant that perhaps the lawyer was fighting but not as hard as a lawyer who has no interest in appeasing the royal family.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's like you can't be on the opposite side of someone and also try to maintain their approval. Either you go in like a bulldog or you don't. According to Tina Brown, Fergie ended up with a £350,000 settlement and for her daughters, a £1.4 million trust fund and £500,000 to go towards a house. Those figures meant that Fergie's debt, that four million pound debt, was not going anywhere. Now, those figures are still not small, right, that Fergie yeah. walked away with. But I think context here is crucial. Three months after Fergie and Andrew's divorce went through, London newspapers were reporting that Diana reportedly negotiated around £17 million pounds in cash when she divorced Charles and an extra £400,000 a year to help maintain her private office. Diana did not hire an establishment lawyer. She hired someone who did not give a fuck about appeasing the royal family.
0: She was willing to go down in flames against the royal family and that paid off hugely for her with that divorce settlement. Fergie herself has written about how she desperately wanted to preserve her friendship with the royal family throughout her divorce proceedings. She said that when she met the queen and the queen asked what she wanted, she replied, your friendship mom. She wrote about this I think it amazed her because everyone said I would demand a big settlement. But I wanted to be able to say, her majesty is my friend, not fight her, nor have lawyers saying, look, she is greedy. Now, Fergie, if you're listening, I am too a people pleaser, but perhaps the one time in life to give up the people pleaser tendency is when you are going through a divorce and you are four million pounds in debt and you need to get that covered.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Like, absolutely. (laughs) Tina Brown wrote that it ended up being a huge lose-lose for Fergie. She said, "'Fergie desperately wanted to claw back a relationship "'with senior royals, failing to understand "'the Windsor's long-practised art "'of pulling up the drawbridge irrevocably.'" Fergie's relationship with the royal family was almost permanently fractured. I mean, she wasn't invited
0: to royal f- events in the future. She didn't go to William and Kate's wedding years later. So it's like, what, what did you gain by yeah. trying – you're never going to be the Queen's friend, especially after the scandals that are, you've kind of left in your wake. unfortunately you've been a victim of those as well, but – in what world is the queen going to be your bestie? Just look out for you. Yes. You look out for
1: you, but that is not what happened. After that pretty disastrous divorce, Fergie tried to make some of her own money. In addition to the income from her budgie, the little helicopter, children's books, Fergie tried to generate income by publishing a tell-all memoir about her life and time in the royal family. That is, of course, my story that we've referenced through this episode. I mean, I don't think that's going to get you in the good graces
0: of the royal family either. No. So the memoir was released in 1996 and one unintended consequence of publishing that memoir perhaps is the way it allegedly impacted Fergie's relationship with Diana. Again, if you want to have all these connections, a book where you tell everything, give all the nitty gritty details about life as a royal won't endear you to the people involved in the book.
1: So as we know, Diana and Fergie had been incredibly close. Fergie wrote in her autobiography that in 1991, so a year before their respective marriage separations, they had talked about leaving their husbands. She said, it was the year we first put words to the unspeakable idea that had been nudging us in the ribs for some time, that one or both of us might leave the royal family. We burned the phone wires into the night, trading secrets and jokes that no one else
0: would understand stand. Mm, according to some royal reporters, while these two were incredibly close, they did have that kind of sisterly rivalry and sense of competitiveness that caused friction between them. Fergie later admitted that Diana stopped speaking to her in 1996, so a reminder the same year this book came out but that she didn't know the exact reasons why. She told Harper's Bazaar that when Diana died, they hadn't actually spoken for a year. She said, the saddest thing at the end is we hadn't spoken for a year, though I never knew the reason except that once diana got something in her head i tried wrote letters thinking whatever happened didn't matter let's sort it out and i knew she'd come back in fact the day before she died she rang a friend of mine and said where's that red i want to talk to her
1: one rumoured reason for the falling out is because Fergie wrote in her autobiography that Diana had given Fergie several pairs of shoes, which gave Fergie
0: Diana's, and I quote,
1: plant awards.
0: Dare I say, I know that sounds so frivolous and I know that sounds like a silly example. I can actually see that damaging a friendship. If you are renowned as one of the classiest, most fashionable women in the world and your friend is writing about your your warts, like you're you're saying something incredibly nasty with that in your book. I would find that fucking annoying if well, my friend did that to me.
1: No, I think you're right because I think when I took this at surface level at the start I was like, she didn't like go to town on all of Diana's secrets. But I agree with you. If royal insiders are saying there had been a level of competitiveness between the two, there had been friction because of that, and perhaps there's been jealousy from Fergie's side, Yeah, you are... Perhaps trying to pull someone down, aren't
0: you? And saying they've got they've got warts all over their feet—the part of her you don't see, like she's not as fashionable or as classy or as clean, whatever that you think she is. So I reckon that's the kind of thing that would damage a friendship because I would be that petty to go, well, fuck you, I'm not speaking to you
1: anymore. Yeah, it's interesting. Actually, the more I think about it, I think it's not the plant awards at all that are the issue. It is the fact that Fergie is trying to infer something by telling this specific story. Yes. Now, bizarrely, 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 Fergie gave an interview in 2021 suggesting that there was never any feud between them, which directly goes against what she'd previously said on the record yeah she told people magazine we promised each other we'd always be together there was never any daylight between us but everybody wanted that because we were so strong together people wanted to break something so strong
0: Yeah, we'll leave that to the side, I guess. An interesting change of narrative. But over the years, it did seem that Fergie was able to get herself out of her financial troubles. She pursued a series of publishing and merchandise deals and TV shows over in the US. She had faced criticism for her body shape and had been labelled the Duchess of Pork, as we discussed in episode one, Zara. So she actually ended up becoming a spokesperson for Weight Watchers for 12 years and for that gig apparently earned roughly two million dollars Australian a year. Yeah
1: she moved to New York and also set up a lifestyle company called Heartmore in 2006 which had an office in Madison Avenue in Manhattan. I can't imagine the rent on that one would be cheap. <laughs> the company was reportedly a health wellness and lifestyle company. Fergie herself later referred to it as and I quote a vehicle to market my career in publishing, media and public speaking. A percentage of sales were supposed to go to her charity, the Sarah Ferguson Foundation, but things started to go very, very badly again for Sarah's finances in the 2000s.
0: Yeah, it's interesting because Fergie ended up telling her side of the story years later in another subsequent autobiography called Finding Sarah. So her life just goes in Circles. Cycles, yeah. Cycles that tend to have an autobiography at and the end. And some debt. And some debt. Side note, this is a weird book, by the way. For one thing, there are whole paragraphs that are just directly <laughs> copy pasted. A bit of a control C, control V going on between autobiography one and autobiography two. I mean, it's the same life, though. <laughs> <laughs> like how much can you actually write about yourself? When there's only been maybe a ten year gap between autobiographies. Just just rewrite the passages though. Yeah. What also stands out
1: in this autobiography is how Fergie does sort of centre herself as a victim in almost every scenario. It feels very much through the tone of this book that very few things are ever her fault. And if anything, the problem is that she's too generous a person in trying to help others. Yeah. Got big, I'm such an
0: empath. I I dig myself a grave energy. It does have big empath energy. Now, for example, let us read you a passage. You guys can make your minds up about this. She wrote, Unfortunately, I continued to spend money to help other people. I donated every penny I could to charity. I enjoyed my money by using it to ease the plight of others and I had no conception of how damaging to my own life that would be. Looking back, I see this as another form of people-pleasing. The same behavioural pattern, only in a different design, I was generous to a fault. Now, I just want to remind everyone according to Tina Brown's book, the majority, in fact, almost all of the money, was spent on holidays, jewelry, fashion. Lux gifts, yeah. not on charity donations.
1: Well, a few big things happened around 2008 as well. For one thing, Weight Watchers dumped her as their spokesperson, but also that year, Fergie's lifestyle company went bust. She said that she'd funneled $1.4 million of her own savings into the business, but, and I quote, there were high price salaries to pay, pricey offices to maintain. She blamed her partners that she trusted to manage the business. She wrote, I protested, but no one would listen to my pleas to manage the company with better fiscal responsibility. (laughs) She also said that she ended up taking out a $1.7 million personal loan to repay creditors and by June 2010 was, and I quote, on the brink of bankruptcy with barely $900 to her name.
0: Yeah, that same year, Fergie actually moved back in with Prince Andrew at the Queen's former home, Royal Lodge, a 30-room 18th century house on 98 acres in the grounds of Windsor Castle. Now, they still live there together uncoupled. People started
1: to, like, talk about her financial failings. It really became a narrative in the media, Mish. The New York Post said that tax documents from 2007 show the Sarah Ferguson Foundation gave away just $22,600 that year despite having raised more than 508000 There were also news that Fergie was being sued for unpaid bills ranging from 2500 to about 25000 mm. Curious. It is interesting to me. Like she was on over $2 million a year mm. with Weight Watchers. Like that would set a lot of people up for life.
0: Yeah. And if you're saying you're raising $508,000, why is only 22,600 being donated that year?
1: Yes. And we, uh, we do know with charities that there are costs involved to right. run the charity. Yes. It is just a very small portion of that $500,000. Yes. Now, Exhaustingly for Fergie Mish, the scandals just kept coming.
0: Yeah, because in May 2010, Fergie made headlines around the world again after an undercover tabloid reporter appeared to catch her on tape asking for £40,000 and negotiating for future payments of £500,000 in exchange for access to her ex husband, Prince Andrew. I mean, I'd sell you out if I needed the (laughs) cash.
1: No, but the thing is, News of the World released a video of this. So there's really no arguing with video footage. No. I mean, this was pre-deep fake error, I think. <laughs> I mean, maybe it wasn't. But anyway, this is a real video <laughs> that showed Fergie accepting a bribe from this undercover reporter. The footage, which is pretty grainy, showed Fergie sitting in front of £40,000 in cash and shows her conversation with this undercover reporter. The man, or the, the undercover reporter, was posing as this wealthy guy who wanted an introduction to Prince Andrew. Fergie said to him... £500,000 when you can, to me, to open doors.
0: At the end of the meeting, Fergie walked out of the room with a black bag stuffed (laughs) with (laughs) £40,000. I love that detail so much. And of course, we know that she had negotiated that future payment of £500,000. She told the supposed businessman that we now know is an undercover reporter to wire the money to her HSBC bank account, promising him, that opens up everything you would ever wish for. I can open any door you want, and I will for you. A week later,
1: Fergie had to do an interview with Oprah to talk about the scandal, (laughs) She admitted that she had not seen the video in its entirety, saying, I haven't watched The Devil in the Face because I was in the gutter at that moment. I'm aware of the fact that I'd been drinking, that I was not in my right place. Fergie watched the video in full with Oprah for the interview, which is like the most Oprah detail ever.
0: (laughs) Strangely, though, she started referring to herself in the third person. She was watching the video and saying how she felt, and I quote, really sorry for her, Referencing herself in the video, she went on, she looks exhausted and she looks like she's at least, you know, at the end of the day, she didn't let Andrew down, but he's so important to me and the girls. I think I've clearly been having too much to drink. I mean, if nothing else, a pretty smart language strategy. Mm. To remove the person
1: you are now, to the person in the video, even though it was just a few it was weeks a week ago. Prior, <laughs> Fergie said that she had been drinking wine that night but also said that she didn't remember but also said that she wasn't drunk. There was, like, a lot of conflicting messages going on. Mm. There was also this bizarre tangent that I want to play for you now where she kind of talked about trying to be perfect for 25 years.
0: I suppose I've tried to be perfect for 25 years. You know, I started at, or even longer... I started to use food as my friend when I was twelve, and then um, tried to do everything right. And little Sarah got lost on the long the way. So even then, it's still there's still an air of I am still the victim. Like I've tried to be so perfect for so long. This is my one slip up or something.
1: Well, yeah, it's sort of hinting to. There's no doubt that Fergie's had her issues, right? Like it, it appears. From her own admission that she might have a problem with drinking or food or whatever it might be but it's like is it all entirely relevant in this conversation that's sort of hard to see as well as talking about her drinking and her time in the public eye fergie also tried to explain what was actually going on in the video she said that three weeks before the video a friend asked her to meet the reporter and the reporter at the time was claiming to be a powerful businessman from India who said he went to school with Fergie's father in India.
0: Yeah, she said that she met him for the first time on May 13, 2010 and spent about 30 minutes chatting to him about his fictional wife and children before the conversation turned to business. She said that he wanted to invest in her children's books and help her get out of financial debt. Fergie then said something made her suspicious. She told Oprah... I sat there and thought, he's a journalist. He's a news of the world journalist. I know he is. I'm going to leave. But before she got up, she said, I need you to sign a confidentiality agreement because I'm not discussing anything more with you unless you do. She said that he agreed to sign the document, but they went their separate ways. They then had dinner less than a week later on May 18, she said, and despite her repeated requests, he hadn't signed that confidentiality agreement. So she just... Kept meeting him. (laughs) Fergie told
1: Oprah that her first priority during their second meeting was to get $38,000 in cash for a friend who urgently needed the money. The reporter gave her $40,000 in cash and she started crying. (laughs) Oprah asked Fergie why she didn't have $40,000 herself to lend her friend or why she couldn't ask her ex husband or the Queen. Good questions. She said she was in a substantial amount of debt. She said that originally she only wanted £40,000 but eventually asked for half a million. She said, I must have been a little worse for wear and I think I just went, if you're in for 40, okay, well, if you want to do business in the future, you know. And to be honest with you, I can't even think where my head was. I just want to cringe.
0: Yeah. Now, News of the World claimed that they had received a tip from a royal associate that Fergie had done something like this before and that's why they wanted to set up this elaborate sting and kind of catch her in the act Fergie denied that claim she said I think that this has taken six months for them to get to this point and I think I've been like a huge over trusting idiotic stupid woman that went and looked for the situation that's all I can say really It does add up that if News of the World has heard whispers that she has a pension for for this. I mean, why would you just concoct this out of nowhere and be like, let's see if she falls for it? It's a pretty elaborate, expensive sting to set up if you don't know that they have a history of it.
1: Yeah, if you're not confident. She did say, though, that Andrew had reached out to her with understanding. In the months following the interview, Fergie and Oprah started working on a TV series called Finding Sarah about her trying to sort her own life as an ex-royal and to find herself again It was a pretty wild (laughs) wild. show. She spoke to Dr. Phil about her childhood trauma. She met with a financial guru to help sort out her finances. (laughs) It was all very dramatic. She talked about how life was perfect. She said, so I sabotaged myself and I hit rock bottom. It was like I'd murdered someone. I had. I'd murdered Sarah.
0: Now, look, when I read the details of this TV show, I thought, wow, this must have done really well. It did not. Less than 200,000 people tuned in for some of these episodes. I would have thought that a royal doing like expose in America would fit their kind of sensationalist reality TV vibe. This sank. I think Fergie was probably overexposed at this point. And people had lost, I think people lost a bit of respect for yes. her as well. So they didn't really care so much about the rebuild story.
1: No, I think perhaps there was something that felt a bit predictable about it all
0: and there wasn't enough sort of
1: tension there to make a good show.
0: Yeah at the same time that Finding Sarah the TV show came out, Finding Sarah the autobiography with like copy and pasted slabs of text came out too and in that book Fergie gave a little more detail around the circumstances of that cash for access to Prince Andrew scandal.
1: Yes, and she explained that that friend who she was desperately trying to help to get money for... The £40,000 friend. Yeah, that that friend really needed cash and she was trying to help them out, was actually a staff member (laughs) that she hadn't been able to pay who needed the money she owed him to be able to go to college. The way she writes it, though, makes it sound like she's doing this charitable, selfless thing. <laughs> she said, A repercussion of this mess was my inability to pay the wages of a longtime friend and trusted staff member. He needed that money to pay for his college tuition and room and board to the tune of 40000 I wanted to help him. You, no, you, you owed
0: him. You owed him. To position this as I wanted to help out a friend and do some charitable thing is so misleading and annoying. No, no, no. You owed a staff member cash for the work they had done for you. It is a very different set of circumstances, Miss Fergie. Originally it was framed as
1: like a... (laughs) An early go fund me. <laughs> to be like, I need to fund something in my friends' lives. No, you actually, as we say, just needed to repay a staff member. <laughs> but truthfully, Mish, this was very far from the end of Fergie and Prince Andrew's problems because they had made decisions over the years to associate with people that we were going to know far more about.
0: Yeah. So the following year, in February 2011, Prince Andrew and Fergie's reputation took a deserving dive right before William and Kate's royal wedding. It was that month that the New York Post published a photo of Prince Andrew walking in Central Park with Jeffrey Epstein, convicted sexual abuser Jeffrey Epstein. Shortly after, it was revealed that Fergie herself had ties to Jeffrey Epstein that were damning.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And so what we've done, over these two episodes is tell you the story of Andrew and Fergie and the role they play in the royal family, the role they have played in the public eye. And over the next two weeks, we are going to tell the story of how Prince Andrew's relationship with Jeffrey Epstein was made public and everything that happened there.
0: For now, though, guys, thank you for listening to this episode. It was researched alongside us by Justine Landis Hanley. We are so grateful for her work.
1: Yeah, guys, thank you so much. As always, we are on Instagram at Shameless Podcast and TikTok at Shameless underscore podcast. We will see you
0: next week for the story of Prince Andrew and Jeffrey Epstein. And the many skeletons in that royal closet. Yeah. Bye.